Well, thank you. That was very kind, Pastor Fred. I really appreciate that. We love being at this church. We really do. And I, I love coming in here on Saturday nights and worshiping. I mean, it's sanctuary time for me, and that's going to mean a little bit more to you in a minute as we get into the message. But over the past several months, God has really been speaking to me very loudly from Psalm chapter 73. And so when Pastor Fred asked me to preach tonight, I had a hunch that that's where the Holy Spirit was going to take us, and sure enough, he did. And so my prayer as I've been preparing and just all week has been, God, would you speak loudly in this place tonight? Because I know I don't really have anything to share on my own. God speaks to me from his word, and then I love getting to share it. And so we're going to just do that tonight. If you're ready, I'm ready. We're going to jump into Psalm 73, and, and we're going to get going here. But Psalm 73 uh, was written by a man named Asaph. Now, you might not have ever heard much about him before. I really haven't either until I started studying this psalm. But he's somebody that I think a lot of us can probably relate to, maybe even more than some of the big names in the Bible. So, so who was this guy? Well, he lived at the same time that King David lived, and King David actually appointed him as a worship leader over the people, and that was really his skill set. I mean, he was a poet, he was a songwriter, he was a singer, and sometimes in the Bible he's actually called a, a prophet as well. And so as we look at his life and we see who he is, we see he's, he's just like us, you know? He's just a normal guy. He loves God. He's got a skill set that he uses in the kingdom, whether or not you're a worship leader or maybe you're a finance person or working kids ministry or organized, you know, mystery dinners and mission trips, all kinds of things. I mean, we all have skill sets, right, that we use in the kingdom of God. And, and, and we just want to do our best at that. And a lot of times, how many of you out there journal? Do you, do you ever journal? Do you write down about your experiences with the Lord? Well, I like to think of the Psalms that Asaph wrote as, as times that he's just writing, writing in his journal. And so we get to peer into that, and we get to see his thoughts and, and his triumphs and his challenges and his prayers. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to begin tonight by actually reading the whole psalm together. So if you got a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out. Maybe it's on your phone. If not, we're going to put it on the screen. Somehow tonight, we're going to get you to look at this word, okay? We all want to be reading it. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and really look at it together. So this is what Asaph writes in Psalm 73. He says, surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace and the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, and the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high, and they've set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, God's people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. And they say, how does God know? And, and is there even knowledge with the Most High? Asaph writes, behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak this, behold, I would have betrayed your generation of children. And when I pondered to understand it, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. 
Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered, Asaph says, and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You've taken hold of my right hand, and with your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. And then he says, whom have I in heaven but you, God? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, he says, the nearness of God is my good. And I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God, your word is so full of life, God. And Father, I pray that tonight you would speak this word loudly to us in this place, Lord. That you would give direction. That you would give encouragement. that, That you would give correction if we need it, God. That you would inspire us and build us up, God. Lord, as your children, we can so easily slip and slide and stumble as we're walking on your pathways, God. Tonight, Lord, would you make this a sanctuary time, God, where you build us up in your truth, you stand us up strong, and you give us feet that walk strong in truth, God. Lord, as we come into this sanctuary time to meet with you, God, and we're, we're here, we've been lifting you up and exalting you, God, would you just, would you minister to us through your life-giving word, Lord, like only you, our Heavenly Father, can do. God, we ask that humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've read it. Maybe you've read that before, but we're going to dig into it some more and just see about this time in Asaph's life when he stumbled and he slipped And he really almost landed on his backside. You know, as a church, uh, for weeks, we have been working through uh, this discipleship pathways. And I personally have loved the teaching from Pastor Fred on the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. If you've not been a part of that, I would encourage you to listen to that on podcasts and and just continue to meditate and think through and determine that you're going to walk on these pathways because this is such a clear plan of discipleship, and it's so, so good. You know, the Bible calls these pathways ancient pathways. Even this morning when I was reading something totally unrelated. Again, it it said that. Ancient pathways. They're holy pathways. They're divine pathways, you know? But how many of us out there who who have endeavored to walk in them, you know they're not always smooth and easy pathways, are they? (laughs) They're not. (laughs) They're not. And Asaph was walking on these pathways too. And as we walk on them, they're holy pathways, but we're human people. Now, we've got the Spirit of God in us, but we're here on this earth, and we're trying to walk on these holy ancient pathways. And so there's going to be times in our life, just like Asaph, that we stumble. And there's going to be times that we slip. See, he tells us, he starts off right at the beginning, and he's walking along, and I think he's walking on a pathway, the pathway of worship. Because how does he start in verse 1? He says, surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. He's, he's worshiping. But then look what he says. He says, but as for me, he starts telling us his story. As for me, my steps had almost slipped. My, my feet came close to stumbling. What was it that caused him to do that? We're going to talk about that. You know, because as people, I think we can all relate to that. We all have times we can look back in our, in our walk with Christ. If we've been walking with him for any length of time, and, and we can look at a time that we, we came close to going down, right? 
Or, or we can look at a time that we actually did go down. In, in my family, I, I kind of have a reputation of being a clumsy girl. Actually, my parents are, and, and one of my aunts is here tonight. Today is my dad's birthday. So can everybody say happy birthday, dad? Happy birthday, Dad. Okay, great. Thank you for doing that for me. But in my family, I, I actually have kind of a reputation of being a clumsy girl. I have fallen downstairs more times than I, I could even begin to tell you. Um, one time when my sister and I were younger, she mopped the floor with pledge. I mean, who does that? And so it was so slippery, and I literally landed under the dining room table. And, and, and she still thinks that's funny. I mean, we're almost, she is 50. I'm almost 50, and, and I, don't, I still don't think that's very funny. But, but that's kind of a story that goes around in our family. I mean, I, a few years ago, I was running down the road. Um, I was training, and I was running down the road on Jefferson Avenue on the, on the sidewalk, and I tripped up the curb and literally just sprawled out in front of Chick-fil-A there, in front of, of Patrick Henry Mall. I mean, sometimes my feet are just so clumsy, I just fall. I don't even know what I fell over, but I just, I just fall. But probably my worst slip, fall, ever moment actually took place about seven years ago, and it happened on this. This actual thing. This is at Massanutten, and that is a picture of it. And so the reason the fall on this thing was so bad, because it wasn't just one fall. It was actually three falls. I, I fell when I was getting on the ride. Like when I was walking out, my feet literally went out from under me. I slipped, and I landed on my back, and the whole board thing just landed on top of me. And if you can notice, people are lined up along the side. They don't have anything to do but watch the person who's supposed to be doing this amazing ride down the ride, but, you know, I fell. So what are they doing? They're laughing. And Marvin was standing there with me, and he's not here tonight, but he knew I was going to tell this story, so I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about him, really. But I could hear him laughing louder than anybody behind me. So I'm like, Ugh, you know, and I stand up, and I'm, I'm going to ride this thing. I mean, I, I'm a beach girl. I've boogie boarded all my life. I can do this, right? And so I put the board down, but somehow when I went to push off, like to go down the hill, my foot slipped, so it kind of turned the board like in a propelling motion, so it just started doing this instead of going down. And it got so bad that they literally turned the water off. And I'm sitting in the middle of the thing like a wet rat because literally when they turn it off, it's like, it's gone. And so I sit there, and I'm so disoriented. Everyone's laughing. Of course, Marvin's laughing louder than anybody, but he, he very graciously comes over to help me get up. And I stand up to walk off the ride, and I'm so disoriented that I slip again and fall. And Marvin falls too, but not because he was think, being nice to me to maybe be a little sympathetic. He fell because he was laughing so hard that he couldn't, he couldn't even stand up under the laughter. It was my worst ever moment. If you have a worse one, I, I really feel for you, okay? And, and Marvin's great husband. He just likes to laugh. And after 27 years of marriage, I've had to learn to just <laughs> laugh with him. doesn't always come in the moment. Sometimes it takes seven years later to be able to laugh with him. But I didn't tell you that story tonight just for a laugh. It, it is kind of funny now. Even the other day, I texted my son he, he, with it. I said, hey, you remember that time? Because I was writing this down. And he was, he was like, wrote me back. Ha, 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 ha. I'm like, you know, because he was right there too, actually, laughing with his dad. He didn't fall on the floor, though. But, but I don't tell you that story really for a laugh, but more because it's such a good backdrop for us of, of what was going on here with Asaph. See, this account here in Psalm 73 is, is the story of Asaph one time after another just stumbling and coming close to hitting the ground. Now, I think we all know 
Asaph's not talking about falls like that, right? He's not talking about literal falls where your body hits the ground. He's talking about falls in life where your heart and your life really just land with a thud. And all of hell is laughing at you. But if you could just follow me on this comparison for a minute. If you've ever literally fallen, and do I have anybody else that's clumsy in the house tonight? Okay, good. Thank you. All right. If you've ever fallen, you know one of the first things that crosses your mind is, how did that happen? Right? Because it happens so fast. You're like, what, what, what? You know? And you think, in that moment, I always think, oh. If I could just turn back the clock like two seconds, I I would know what was on the ground. I would have seen that bump or I would have seen that ice or that Lego on the floor or, or, or whatever it is, you know, that you're running into. See, in our literal everyday life, there literally are bumps on the ground and there literally is ice or Legos or corners or sometimes our feet are just, you know, just clumsy. But spiritually, the slippery places and the bumps, they're in here, right? They're in our minds. They're in our hearts. It's what's going on inside of us. So what was going on inside of Asaph? What caused him to stumble? Well, his first stumble, he tells us, is over envy. He says in verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant. That's how he starts off. See, he looked around in his life. Maybe he's looking on Facebook at, you know, um, he's looking at his friend, his neighbor, a family member, whatever. But he looks around and he's seeing people, man, their life is just like great. They don't have any pain. That's what he says here. You know, they've got healthy bodies. They don't got any trouble or problems like everybody else. And he looks around and he sees these people who aren't even trying to follow God. And they seem to have, it's so much better off than, than he does. And Asaph starts to stumble, right? He's like, what's up with this? He starts slipping, his feet start coming out from under him like, God, do you see this, God? I mean, have you forgotten all about me, God? Have you ever hit that bump in your life? See, if we keep reading, we find it just gets worse. In verses 6 through 9, we find out his, his first steps of envy, that stumble over envy, literally just kind of puts him into a pool of bitterness. Because the more he looks at these people and all they had and he didn't have, he begins to talk about them kind of like they're monsters. <laughs> I mean, you look at this. He, he says that they're totally violent, you know, covered in a garment of violence. He talks about their eyes bulging, you know, their tongues mocking God. See, when we're envious of, of someone, that's why a lot of times the Bible calls it a bitter envy. It's because that's exactly what it does inside of you. It, it, it makes you so bitter. And while these people, you know, we don't know, How wicked they really were. I mean, really, that word wicked just means that they weren't following God, you know, and that can be any of us at at some point, right? And and so we look at this, though, and we can see right into the heart of Asaph that he's bitter because his words are so extreme. See, the more he's pointing a finger at these wicked people, his own feet are flailing. And he even goes on in verses 10 and 11 to blame these people for the rest of God's people stumbling around. And, and while these people might have been to blame, we, we don't really know, what we're seeing in this chapter is that Asaph is the one who's really stumbling. He's stumbling over his own pride. He's stumbling over his misplaced desires. He's stumbling over his own sin. And the bumps and the slippery places in his life are inside of him. 
He's not walking in truth. He's walking in deception. I mean, we can really see it in verses 12 through 14. It's kind of like when he just brings it all to a head and he's like, these are the wicked people, God, in verse 12, are always at ease. Marvin taught me a long time ago, whenever you use the word always, it shows you're a little off. Because nobody is always at ease, right? When you start talking in extremes like that, it shows that something's going on in your heart that's probably not so great. But in verses 13 and 14, it's really to me just so sad and so telling of where Asaph was in his heart and mind. He's like, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In other words, all this effort, God, that I've been making to walk with you for nothing. Who cares? You know, you don't even care. Everybody else has it all, a, a, a lot better off than me, God. Asaph is headed for a crash, and he feels very alone. Because if you keep reading in verse 15, he says, if I would speak this out loud, you know, if I speak it out, I'm going to betray all your children. See, he's a leader in, in, in the kingdom of God. He's a worship leader. So he doesn't feel like he has a safe place, and, and he should have. I mean, that's a sermon for another day, right? But, but he didn't feel like he had a place where he could be honest about what was going on. So he's very alone in this, and he just keeps trying to figure it out himself and that just causes more stumbles. Because if you read verse 16, he says, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Have you ever been in a place like Asaph? <laughs> I would imagine that some of us are there tonight. You notice I say us. There's a reason why God has been speaking to me so loudly from this chapter for the last few months. Because as we determine that we are going to walk on the pathways, these holy pathways that God has for us, every one of us, church, are going to stumble. We're going to all slip at times, maybe even a lot. We might get labeled the clumsy girl in the family, okay? I mean, that just might be who we are. But we need to realize we cannot steady our feet on our own. These are pathways that are so holy and so divine, we can't walk them on our own. And if we try to figure it out on our own, it's just going to cause more trouble. In verse 16, the more Asaph tried, the more troubled he got. The more he laid awake at night trying to figure out what's wrong in my life. Why isn't God blessing me? All these different things just rumbling around in his head, maybe having conversations with himself in the mirror. Whatever you do, you know, to try to figure out your life. Well, the more Asaph did it, the more troubled he got, the more he stumbled around. But then we land in verse 17. I love the way this verse begins. The word until. Such an amazing word here. The word until. Because see, Asaph's stumbling, and we might be stumbling, and we might be slipping until. Right? And, and Asaph says, until I came into the sanctuary of God. The word came is a really interesting word in the Hebrew it actually means to be, it has a connotation about it, to be introduced to. So it's this idea when Asaph comes into the sanctuary that he's introduced to God. Now that might seem a little strange because you're like, well, he's a worship leader. Shouldn't he already know God? So it's not like he's just being introduced to God. But it is like he's just being introduced to God. Because what it is is that he's coming into a new dimension of God's presence in a whole new way. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. You think you know something about God, and then you get in the sanctuary with him, and all of a sudden you're like, God, <laughs> nice to meet you. I, I didn't know that about you before, God. And that's what the sanctuary is. It's getting in God's presence, shutting our mouths, silencing our thoughts, and letting God speak very loud <laughs> and say new things to us. 
Now, we might come in saying what we think and saying how we feel, but as we settle into the sanctuary, we posture ourselves before God and we say, God, I'm tired of trying to figure out what I think and what I feel about this. What I really want to know is what do you think? And what do you feel, God? And we listen. We listen for his voice. And we line that up with his word. In fact, I would say that most times he's going to speak from his word. That's why it's so important that we know the word. Somebody told me a long time ago, this is the language God speaks. If you go to another country, you know, you can't communicate with people if you don't know their language. You know, a little bit. But when you know their language, you can have deep, intimate conversation. When we know the word of God, when God begins to speak to us, oh, all kinds of things rise up. But see, we got to be very careful in the sanctuary to make sure that we're hearing from God and not just hearing what we want to hear. Because we can come up with all kinds of stuff, right? So we, we got to be really careful to let his word speak. But that's what happened to Asaph in the sanctuary. God showed him truth. And Asaph finally stopped all this self-pondering and trying to figure it out and listen to what God said. God was like, not my boy. You're mine. You are not going down because I'm going to stand you up in truth. And church, I really believe that that's what God will do for us when we get in the sanctuary with him. He'll introduce himself to us in a new way. And he'll build in us strong minds and, and strong hearts full of truth that translates into the way that we're able to walk so that we can walk on these amazing holy pathways. We're going to find, as you move on into this psalm, that Asaph, he never talks about God changing his situations and his circumstances. We don't even know really what they were. We can kind of surmise from some of the other psalms that he wrote if he's even referring to the same things. But I mean... In, in verse 14, he had it pretty bad. He says, I was stricken all day long. Ever had one of those days or one of those years or seasons where it seems like every time you turn around, your life's going wrong? That's what he feels like. But he never talks about God changing any of that. But he talks about God changing him. And see, often I think that we run into the sanctuary because we want God to change our situation. And you know what? God can do that. And he calls us to come and petition him and to ask him for what we need. He's a loving father. He works miracles. He does all that. And that's one kind of sanctuary time. But that's not the kind of sanctuary time that's going on here. This is the kind of sanctuary time where we get in God's presence and God changes us. Because God wants to give us those firm steps so that we can move through this life with those firm, steady steps. I really like this guy Asaph. I feel like we've become friends as I've been, you know, studying this. Because I identify with him. I, I love God. And I want so badly to walk with steady feet on these pathways. But oh my goodness, I stumble and bumble around sometimes. I mean, out of nowhere. My feet can just start coming out from under me. And I'm like, what, what? I, I didn't even see it coming. I mean, most of the time, I just create my own bumps in the road. And something in my heart tells me that Asaph and I are kindred spirits like that. I think he's probably got a whole journal or several full of lots of different kinds of bumbles and steps around in his life. And I, I want to read them. <laughs> when I get to heaven, if I meet him, and I hope I do, I'm going to ask, hey, can I read the rest of your stuff? Because you think about it, he really only gets a little bit of show here in the Bible. 12, 12 chapters, that's it. So I had to ask God, why did you pick this one? Why did you pick this one? And something just rose up in me that said, you know why? Because the bumbles and slips right here in this chapter are some that most of my people go through. 
They're so, so common. And so you know what? I think tonight as we look at this a little bit deeper, we can see where he stumbled and what truth God spoke to him. And this can be like a sanctuary time for us too. So let's look a little closer here. The first thing that we find in the sanctuary is that God introduces to Asaph a true revelation of, of all he possessed, of the riches that he has. In verse 17 it says, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. What was their end that God showed him? Well, in verses 18 through 20, he goes on to describe it. He started to have an understanding, a revelation in his mind of these people that he's envying who don't know God, that they're the ones that are really in a slippery place. These riches, this life of ease, it's not going to last for long if they're not following God. And Asaph might have known that in his head before, but now he seems to really be grabbing hold of it. But see, Asaph had really gotten it all mixed up before. And that's why he was slipping. See, when he was envious, he was looking at these people and he was like, you know what? I want what they got because it seems a whole lot better than what God is giving me. He started out on a pathway of worship. Oh God, you're so good to Israel. But he quickly lost sight of all the riches that he had when he started looking at all the riches that other people had that were just material riches. He was stumbling over the deceit of riches, and so many of us do. The Bible talks about it a lot, the deceitfulness of riches. And the Bible also talks a lot about how it's vanity to trust in riches. But, but don't miss this. Did you catch what Asaph said in verse 13 while he was stumbling he said, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In other words, surely in vain I've been trusting in you, God. Do you see how mixed up he is? The very thing that is the right thing to do that's not in vain, he was calling it in vain because he was wanting so badly the riches of this world. He thought the temporal riches of this world were better than the eternal riches of God. Now, just to make this clear, there's nothing holy about poverty. There are believers who, who would say that there is, but there really is nothing holy about poverty. God blesses people all over the word of God with material riches. He also calls people to humble means sometimes. Every one of us have a different life story, a different destiny from God, and God is going to call us into that, and we've got to work that out individually with him. So whether or not you have a whole lot or whether or not you have a little bit, really, that's not even what really matters. What really matters is that the Bible calls something very great, and that's the eternal riches that he gives us. And it, it makes it very clear in the Word of God that that's always, always better. In fact, the Bible's very clear that we have, as believers in Jesus, every riches that we need. Every, that's not grammatically correct, is it? Every kind of riches that we need in Christ Jesus, right? We have all the inheritance. See, I get so overwhelmed with them that I can't even speak straight. That the riches of God, okay, they're so awesome. And, and we have in Christ every promise that God has given. It's yes to us in Christ Jesus. But I would ask you, how many of us stumble around every day believing the lie we don't have enough yet? We don't have enough yet. We start looking around at what everybody else has, and then we believe the lie, God's holding out on me. You know what? That is exactly how the very first fall ever happened. 
It's exactly what happened in Genesis 3. God had given Adam and Eve all the riches they, they needed, the riches of his presence in fullness, and all of the riches here too. Except he said one thing, don't eat it. And they became deceived thinking there's something in here that's better than what God has given me. You cannot walk on holy pathways with that kind of lie and deception in your heart. You just can't. Many years ago in the sanctuary, God taught me. He started giving me some math lessons. I'm not a math girl. don't really like math that much. But God began to teach me that his ways of counting are very different than, than the ways of the world. You know, what is it that Paul said in Philippians 3? He said, if I was to take all the riches that I've been given here in this world, and I even think for him it, it could be material riches as well as just the riches of this life that, that we can experience. And he put them all in a pile, and he took all the riches of knowing Christ, and he put those in a pile. He says, when you compare them, there's no comparison. In fact, that's trash. And, and in the Message Bible, it says that's dog dung. So no matter how good it is, okay, that is always better. And Paul said, I have to count it that way. Now, that's challenging math, church, but God will teach us that kind of math in the sanctuary so that we can experience his goodness. God wants us to experience the fullness of righteousness and peace and joy. I mean, those are just a few of his riches, right? There's multitudes more of his riches. Paul actually calls the riches of God unfathomable, meaning you'll never get to the highest level of understanding in this math, okay? Because they're unfathomable. But yet, God will reveal them to us and introduce these riches to us. And he wants us to see them and he wants us to experience them. But in the sanctuary, because most of us have started stumbling around over this stuff so much, he also, a lot of times for us, and he did for Asaph, will introduce to us a true revelation of holy desires, and what holy desires look like. And see, in the sanctuary, God showed Asaph, your desires are not holy. <laughs> see, in the sanctuary, God's going to deal with us about our desires. All that's going in, on inside of us. God wants us to follow his commands. Absolutely. I mean, I've been taught the Ten Commandments since I was this big. And God wants us to follow those as well as all his other commands. But God knows it starts where? inside of us first, right? With our desires. So in the sanctuary, he's going to teach us and he's going to instruct us about his unfathomable riches and, and he's going to cause us to consider what are our true desires and to really look at ourselves because his way of counting is a very high level math course. You know, in school, and Nathaniel would know about things like this, not me. But when you start moving up into high-level math courses, it goes way beyond just numbers and maneuvering them and things like that, right? You have to get to very high levels of reasoning. Well, in the sanctuary, there's a moving up, too, into, into the math course, okay? Where you go beyond just knowing about the rules and the facts of God's promises, and you start to develop holy desires, and I think that God would call that holy math, okay? And, and, and it's an honest math because in the sanctuary, you got to be raw honest because you can't even really have sanctuary moments with God if you're not going to be honest. Why? Because he's truth, right? So in the sanctuary, God revealed truth to Asaph about his desires. And how do I know that happened? Because you read what Asaph said about himself in God's presence here in verses 21 and 22. And I actually want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. This is what Asaph says. He says, Then I realized how bitter I had become, 
How pained I had been by all I had seen. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. That's pretty intense, right? Not easy stuff to see about yourself when you've been pointing a finger at everybody else and calling them wicked, right? Asaph saw his bitterness. He calls himself a, a senseless animal. What's a senseless animal? It's a beast who's driven only by his own desires. It can happen to any of us, church. These stumbles and slips, God knows, he sees. And so he's often going to be drawing us into his sanctuary. And these invitations from God in the sanctuary, they can come in various forms. The first ones usually happen for a lot of us, maybe from our parents, you know, who take us to church, raise us up in truth. If you didn't grow up like that, you probably got invited into the sanctuary, maybe from a friend or co-worker or another family member. But see, there comes a moment where we're not just in the sanctuary with everybody else. But God's drawing us each one individually. I believe scripture conveys this. He wants to have that individual intimate time with us. So he'll invite. He's always drawing us into his presence. Now, most times I would say it's not a sanctuary moment like this one here that Asaph is having. It's really to go before us and build us up in truth. So that when we get to the bump and the stumble, we already see it. And we don't, we, we go, oh, I'll just walk right over that because I, I see it because I have truth in my heart and my mind. And a lot of us can praise God because God has built truth in our lives through our just daily walking with him, studying the word, being raised in truth, whatever your experience has been. You, I hope you have stories where you can say, I didn't fall over that. I didn't slip over that because God built me up in truth. But this tells us that God also draws us into the sanctuary when our feet are going out from under us or when we've already fallen because he wants to get us in there and build up the truth and show us this is why you fell and I don't want you to fall again. I want you to be able to walk on this pathway. So he might do that in a worship service. I mean, Saturday night's sanctuary time for me. I, I imagine for many of you too, you know. But, but those also happen at home for me. When, when I'm in the Word and, and I'm praying, they happen when I'm running and I'm praying. And they happen when I'm sitting in a restaurant sometimes, when I'm in a crowd of people. Anytime that I draw near into God's presence and I start listening to His Spirit within me and I'm ready to hear what He has to say. And God will say, let me introduce myself to you today. I want to show you something about myself. And it's those moments Every one of us have to decide, am I going to move in to God's presence and learn from him, or do I just want to keep stumbling around here? Many times we will resist because we don't want to go to the high-level math course. We don't want God dealing with the desires. We just rather follow a few rules, show up, do the thing. We don't want God getting in here. But we got to understand, if you really want to walk on the path, it's in here where the bumps and the slips are. Let me tell you about a time last summer. It's true. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story, though, and we'll be raw honest here, okay? Last summer, there was a time when God was drawing me into the sanctuary. I didn't want to go to math class, okay? It, it actually happened last summer when, when Pastor Fred and Marvin were in Haiti. Now, in, in our home, we just have one TV. We, we do that for various reasons. And so most times it's on sports. I don't get to watch a lot of TV. But when Marvin's gone mine. And, and I get to watch TV. And, and I'm not even a big TV girl, but I kind of like, it's like, ooh, I get the TV. So that week, I watched a lot of HGTV. Let's just put it that way. I love it. So if you ever watch it, you know that high on the wish list of most of the people is an open concept kitchen with granite countertops and stainless steel appliances, right? Yeah. So 
In fact, I had to laugh one night because my son was actually home that week, and he happened to be walking through, and he said, Mom, does anybody on the show ever just want a regular old kitchen with regular old countertops? I said, no, and I don't either. Because <laughs> as I had been watching that all week and looking around at it, I had decided I don't like these old countertops anymore. And I was ready to bust out some walls in the kitchen. Now, nothing wrong with granite countertops and all of that. I mean, I'd still love to have that one day. But see, inside of me, I knew I was starting to stumble around over ungratefulness and, and envy. But to be raw honest, what I was really stumbling over was the call that God had put on our lives. And in this season, what that has meant for our finances and, and, and my commitment to that, I was starting to get really bitter about it as I looked around. Well, God saw me stumbling. He knew what was going on inside of me. And there were some moments that I knew God was saying, come on, Sharon, talk, talk to me. We, we need to talk about this. And I was like, no, no. In fact, I was even spending time with God. In fact, I think I was preparing to preach another message for something. But I was like, we're not talking about that because I don't really want to deal with that. So several days later, Marvin comes home, and we're looking at his pictures from his trip to Haiti, and we come across this picture of this woman, and she's got this huge, beautiful smile. And, and he starts telling me about her, just how she's this amazing woman, and she has the joy of the Lord on her, and, you know, she just loves life, serves people, and just different things he was telling me about her. And so I looked at the picture of her closer, and, and I said, what is she doing? Because I couldn't tell, you know. And he said, well, she's cooking. She's the one that cooked all our meals. And so I looked at the next picture, and I said, oh, so, so is that her kitchen? He said, he said yeah. Kind of simple, isn't it? It was open concept, but <laughs> there were no granite countertops, right? No cabinets, no appliances, stainless steel, I mean nothing, barely a pot or a pan. This was an invitation from God to me. He, he does it in such creative ways. If he can create the universe, he will send all kinds of fancy invitations, even from Haiti, okay? And so that day I finally crawled, because I had already fallen, into the sanctuary. And I let God teach me again in new ways about the riches that he has for me, about the rich woman that he wants to make me into, far richer than, than many women who cook in designer kitchens every day. But see, like Asaph, I had been stumbling over my own desires. Very high and mighty in my religiosity as I'm preparing to speak and teach, and yet these desires are warring in me. See, even if we're tithing and good stewards of our money, we can still have our desires all out of whack. Who knows that Asaph wasn't doing all that stuff too, right? I had to let God open my eyes and set my stumbling feet right again. And a lot of times we stumble, church, because we can't see. Because we're looking at the world so much that we can't see the goodness of God. See, it's not so much about what we have and what we don't have. It's all about what we know and believe and feel in our hearts about who God is and how we experience him. And that's why it's so important as we walk in these pathways of discipleship, our strength has to come from the Lord. And so God introduced even to Asaph this truth in this sanctuary, a greater revelation of his love and care for him. It was like he was hearing it again for the first time, I think, because he says, nevertheless, because I think Asaph knows he should be ashamed before God, but he doesn't have to be. Because you know what God did? It tells us right here in these next two verses that God grabbed a hold of him and tenderly said, okay, Asaph, we're going to do this again. We're going to walk through this, and I'm going to show you how to walk this whole thing out, even all the way on into glory. 
Isn't that amazing? God always in the sanctuary, even if the lesson is hard, I find that in my sanctuary times with him, he always ministers that grace and that truth. And that, hey, Sharon, it's not over. We're going to get up and we're going to walk some more. You know, Asaph, he was deceived with envy. But there's something else, too, that he really stumbled over that we might miss if we don't look at this a little closer. He really was stumbling over people, putting them before God in here and in here. And that's what happens a lot of times to us as well. We stumble over one thing and it leads to something else. For Asaph, it started with envy and then misplaced desires and then bitterness about people. Because he started out on a pathway of worship, right? I mean, just by simple counting of the verses alone, in, in the first 12 verses, he spends one verse starting off, hey, God, you're so good. And then the next 11, he's whining and complaining about these horrible people, right? Big stumble over people. And this is so common in our lives. Because just like we can misplace the riches in our life. I mean, God gives them to us, but we stumble over them because we start thinking they're better than the riches he has to give us. So in the same way, God blesses us with relationships with people. Tremendous gift from God to have relationships with people, but we stumble over them a lot of times because we put those relationships before God. We hold them up as bigger, and that really can mess up your walk on the pathway of worship. Let me show you how that happens two ways. For Asaph, it happened with frustration. Because we can get so frustrated with people that, that people in that frustration can take up all our thoughts and our space in here and in here, right? So we don't have any energy or time left to even try to walk with God. And when that happens, we just stumble over bitterness and unforgiveness and pride, and we take a whole lot of people right down with us. And, and it's hard falls, really hard falls. That can happen in big ways. If you've got a big blowout going on with somebody, it can happen in a little thing. Somebody says something to you that just, Ugh, the wrong way and all day long it's just all over and you're stumbling and bumbling and, and you meant to like start your day off right with Jesus and then how did this happen and you end the day and you're like never even thought about God again because those people are just taking up all that space it happens and that's exactly what happened to Asaph or the flip side didn't happen to Asaph here but we can adore people so much right that we set them up before God I mean, they're a gift from God. Even our spouses or our children, this can happen with. We, we seek their presence more than the presence of the Lord. We, we seek their counsel. We sp hopefully not your kids' counsel, but you know, sometimes. But you, you know what I mean. People in your life, okay? You, you try to imitate them and seek their presence out. And then you just don't even have any space for God. Oh, God, I'll get you tomorrow. I mean, I'll try. I'll mean to relationships are a gift from God, but we have got to know people are people. God is God, and we have to set him up above. And I believe in the sanctuary, God had to help Asaph over the stumble of people because we see it in what he says next. And, and really, this is my favorite verse in the whole chapter, verse 25. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. See, it shows us the, the truth that God introduced to Asaph, that on this pathway of worship, God has got to be in the highest place. Because you look at those two statements from Asaph. He's talking about people, and he's talking about things, right? <laughs> and those were the two things that Asaph was stumbling over. And God had to be first. Whom have I in heaven but you? It's you, God. You're, you're it. <laughs> and, and on this earth, I don't desire anything, God, but you. And so no longer was this just a worship song that Asaph might be leading. 
He's like experiencing it. and He's walking in it. So God changed him in the sanctuary with this truth. And he stood him up on it. And he also introduced a greater understanding, I think, to Asaph of how much Asaph was going to need God. Because I imagine when he's coming out of this sanctuary time, he's like feeling strong. Like, woo, I'm walking with God. But you know what? Tomorrow's coming. And there's going to be new things that rise up within us. And so I love what he says in verse 26 when he says, my flesh and my heart may fail. He realizes, oh my goodness, I've got to be near to God. Because I might feel strong today, but, but there's going to be things in me that God is sanctifying in my life. And so i got to stay near to him. God's going to be my strength to walk this out. And the question for us tonight, church, is God the strength of our heart and our steps? Because I think so many of us are, are just like Asaph. You know, he's not Moses. He's not David. He's not Joshua. The big names. He's just a little guy. He's like us. And he stumbles. And I, I, I relate to him because I stumble. But here's what I think happens so often. I think we get stuck in this mentality of verse 16. Got to figure it out. Got to make sense of it on our own. And we try so hard and we work that out. And, and you know what? And then we go, this pathway just doesn't work for me. I think I'll just try this one over here. And you know what? The same bumps are on that pathway. Because they're not on the pathway. They're in us. <laughs> and so we have to get in the sanctuary to our maker, our divine creator who knows us, our father, who wants to talk to us and teach us about these things. He'll call us into the sanctuary. For years, I was a believer who loved God, but I did not even have a clue how to walk in truth, barely at all. I walked in my flesh, and I continually fell. I lived, verse 16, I was always like, God, what are you doing to me? I don't get it, you know, but I, I didn't want to listen. I just wanted to, bleh, you know, and, and, and try to figure it out on my own. I was reading all this stuff. You know, I needed to get with God. I needed to get with God. And when I let God call me into the sanctuary and minister truth to my soul, that's when things began to change in my life. I still stumble. I still, I still slip. I can be a clumsy girl. But I can tell you this, I don't hit the ground a whole lot anymore. Sometimes, sometimes. But I've learned to run into the sanctuary and let God hold me up in truth. And one of the things we need to see here is that when Asaph writes this, he's looking back, and you might have missed this in that in verse 2, but it, he says he almost slipped. He almost fell. He didn't actually go down because he got in the sanctuary. And I don't want to be a woman who's constantly looking back in story after story in my life going, oh, if I had just could turn back the clock a few seconds, I wouldn't have fallen. I want to be the woman who looks back and says, man, in my own flesh, in my own strength, I, I'm pretty frail and I, I do stumble sometimes. But oh, praise God, God held me up with truth again that time because I learned to run into the sanctuary. We're going to slip. We're going to stumble. We're human, trying to walk on holy pathways with a God who loves us and wants to help us. And so tonight, he wants to call us into the sanctuary. We're going to enter into a time of worship tonight. Does anybody in this place need some sanctuary time? Oh, my. Oh, my. Maybe like Asaph, you're slipping over some of these very common things. Or maybe it's something totally different. There's all kinds of bumbles and slips in, inside of us. All I know is this. God can speak right into your stumble. He knows everything about us. So he calls us into the sanctuary. And one of the things I find very interesting in this chapter too is we don't know how long Asaph stayed in that sanctuary. We don't know. It might have been a minute. God just downloads the truth and he's walking. Or it might have been months. The main thing is we just go in the first time. 
God knows. He knows how long it'll take. He knows that we need to walk near him. And we just need to get in the sanctuary, shut our mouths, silence our thoughts, open his word, let him speak. So we're going to enter into a time of worship right now. Sanctuary time. For wherever you're slumbing, stumbling and slipping, God wants to speak.
perfect in all other ways. You are perfect in all other ways. You are perfect in all other ways. says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Do you see how Asaph has gotten up and he's walking strong again on this pathway of worship, proclaiming God's goodness? What he's saying is every time I get with God, it's good for me. It's very, very good for me. Now we hear the word good we hear the word good and we think good. You know, it's average, it's good, it's okay, good. But that's not this word here. In the Hebrew, this word is so rich. And I just want to close us out tonight with, with just a description of this word. Thinking in, in your mind of when you get in the sanctuary with God, this is how good it is. It's pleasant good to you. To the senses, your senses, it will be good. To your higher nature, it will be good. It will be excellent and the best choice good for you. Rich and valuable good for you. Appropriate and becoming good for you. Better by comparison good. Glad, happy, prosperous good. Intellectually good. Ethically good, beneficial to your welfare good, morally good, for your future good, bountifully, bountifully good. Asaph says, every time I get with God, that's what he means. It's good. The nearness of God is for my good. So I think Asaph decided he was going to be a sanctuary person. He's just going to be near God. Like God, the nearness of God, it's good for me. So I'm just going to walk these pathways with you, God. And, and he wanted to stay near him. This week, God showed me something so interesting about Asaph, and I love that he just dropped it into my life this week because I had never seen it before. There's a man in 2 Chronicles named Jehaziel. You might have heard of him before. Again, not another big name guy, but his name is Jehaziel. And he was a son of Asaph. That's what the Bible tells us. It mentioned that. And I find that so interesting because, see, what Jehaziel did was when everybody else was stumbling around in fear, all of God's people, they're getting ready to have this battle and they're like crazy fear, like feet coming out from them, falling around. You know what? Jehaziel was the one who stood up in the camp and this is what he said. He walked in truth. He was strong. And he said, the battle is not yours. It is God's. That was Asaph's son. That was Asaph's son, and God spoke to me this week, and he said, when you will get with me and be near to me and walk with me and let me navigate your steps down these pathways, the people that come behind you, your children and your spiritual children, they're going to have even stronger steps than you. And so church, we have to be sanctuary people. So this week, get in the sanctuary. Let God speak. Be a sanctuary person.
You're dismissed. Good night.
will come again in glory.